Good morning, church. Can you hear me? As I was singing that song today, beautiful song that we opened our service with, I couldn't help but think, you know, God sent his son and you think of your own children and the, the tremendous, really unbelievable gift that God gave us when he sent Jesus to die on the cross. And, and we will touch on it in our study today, but I guess you do better understand although I don't believe we'll completely understand the enormity of the gift when you have children yourself. And when you learn to love, and I don't believe that you fully understand love until you have children. And I, I think of my own children, Hannah and Danae, who, who I can say I love more than life itself. And I think how that love is almost instantaneous, the depth of it. And, and my little daughter, you know, Danae at the moment, there is something special about two, three and, and four year olds and to be honest I'll, I will miss when Danae, because Hannah's already left it, leaves this age group. It's a beautiful age group and you know she is in this habit, it's a habit that my wife does not like but it's one that I happen to delight in. Every night at about two o'clock in the morning and she's got different methods but this is the usual one, she will get up out of her bed and she will pitter-patter into my room. Now she's learnt not to get into my bed because my wife's a light sleeper. I sleep like a log. Uh, when I go, it's that lights out until the morning. And she will reach across and she knows to come to daddy with this one too. And she will pull on my sleep, daddy. And I get up and I'm in a sleepwalk, you know. And she takes my hand and I can vision it, because I'm certainly not awake when this happens, and she takes me out of my bedroom, I turn right and go down the hallway, straight ahead to the spare bed, she puts me in the spare bed, she pulls a doona up over me, and then she goes round to the other side and gets in and wiggles her back right up against this great big hot water blanket. It's a beautiful thing, isn't it? Isn't it? So when you tell Diane, see Diane, could you tell her that? Why do I put up with it? Well, because you know what? There may come a day in the not too distant future and she may not even want to claim me as a dad. And so I enjoy that sort of thing that happens with fathers and daughters and I guess fathers and sons. And you get just a touch, I guess, God gives us a touch of the relationship between him and his son and, and the enormity of what it must have been to, to, to give his son to us so that we could live. And as we watch that beautiful dedication this morning, was that not a beautiful dedication? And, and we watch little Lachlan being given by Craig and Jenny to Jesus. We know that they too are experiencing a touch of the love with their little son that is between the father and his son. And it helps you to recognise and to understand the beauty of what God and Jesus did when they sacrificed him on the cross. Let's bow our heads as we begin this exciting, I think it's exciting study this morning. Lord God, we thank you for children, for the joy they bring us, for the, for the way in Lord they give us a touch of your love, not just to your son but to us. 
And I just pray now that as we open your word, that, oh, I pray, Lord, that you will send the Holy Spirit to be here, that we will be drawn closer to you, God, and that we will not leave this church. Lord, may it be that we cannot leave this church without having experienced you and desiring you more. This is our prayer, Jesus, because we know that you love us and are calling us. In your name, amen. I've entitled this Bible study, this sermon, simply for the pleasure of it. I think it's a good title. Simply for the pleasure of it. And I want to begin today by asking you the question, what motivates you? What motivates you? I I watched, well I didn't watch actually, I watched the highlights of the grand final football match between the Tigers and North North Queensland. Uh, I saw the joy, I saw the excitement, I I saw the anticipation on the faces of those Tigers players on the news as they took that cup and they lifted it up into the air and I believe that they were motivated not by money but in the joy of victory and they were highly motivated young men. If they had not have been highly motivated young men, then let me tell you, the West Tigers would not have won the, 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 new, the, the Australian Rugby League Premiership last weekend. It's not hard to see what motivates them, I think, in my own life. I remember when I used to be a builder. Well, that's a long time ago now. I'd get up before daylight, wait in the petrol station for the sun to come up, What was my motivation? Well, let me tell you that the motivation was one thing and one thing only. It was money. And it was only good money that would get me up before daylight to go to work. Then there was my study at Avondale College. Saturday nights in my room. Yes, I did spend some Saturday nights in my room studying. Afternoons in the, in the library. Painstaking. And if you've done a theology degree, you'll know what I'm talking about. Painstaking. It is painful. It hurts. Research in the library. And you read some of those theologians. It, it is painful. Exams. The huge cost, and I'm so glad I paid it because they were four of the best years of my life, but the huge cost, and I paid it, not my parents, of going to Avondale College. Back then it cost me 40,000 hard-earned dollars. My motivation? Well, it was to pass. It was to get a job. But ultimately what motivated me, what drove me to the library to read theologians like Bultman and his others, who I don't believe knew Jesus anyway, what drove me to study them was the fact that I wanted to become a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I wanted to dedicate my life to sharing Jesus with the unsaved of our world. And it was, and it still is, a fiery motivation. Finally, there is God. What motivates me? And I wonder this morning, what motivates you to seek out God, to seek a relationship with Him? Well, He made me. That might be a motivation. Or or He gave His life for me on the cross. I think that's a good motivation. Or He watches over me. Or, Or this God that I've served and believe it, He's coming back again to take me home. They're all good motivating factors to serve God, 
to have Christ in your life. But I wonder if you can reach deep inside yourself this morning and ask yourself the question, what motivates me to follow Jesus Christ? What motivates you? Why are you sitting in this church this morning? Is it because Jesus is coming again? The signs are strong and the signs are powerful that soon we will see our Master Jesus Christ in the skies. Is that what's motivating you? Or perhaps you're serving God. Perhaps you're here in this church because it's the end of time. You know the texts. You know the fearsome times ahead of us. And perhaps that's a motivation to serve God. Or the expectation of eternal life. I have a mansion just over the hilltop. In that bright land where I'll never grow old. Oh, eternal life is a great motivator for Seventh-day Adventists and for Christians. What motivates you in your walk with Jesus? Why are you here? Why are you serving Jesus Christ? I think this morning that that is a tremendous question. What motivates me to follow God? I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 5. Genesis chapter 5. And we will pick up this morning on a story which I hope will leave you strangely warmed and drawn to Jesus. Genesis chapter 5, and in this chapter, this wonderful chapter, we find the family tree of God's holy warriors. And it is impressive reading. If you will read with me, Genesis chapter 5 verse 5, it says, and I'm reading from the NIV, although Adam lived 900 and how long? 30 years, he died. Now here you have Adam and men of science, men who know better than I do and have studied this, believe that Adam was somewhere in the vicinity of 15 feet tall. What a man. He weighed in around 1,200 kilograms. He must have been a great giant of a man, almost a backhoe. He would have been that big. And the Bible says, well, before we go there, if, if Adam was 15, almost 4 metres tall and, and weighing 1,200 kilograms, men, have a think about Eve. 10 to 12 feet tall, maybe a little taller, weighing in somewhere between 900 and 1,000 kilograms. She was all woman, let me tell you. And when God woke Adam up from that sleep, I'm sure he was pleasantly surprised with this beautiful giant that God had made for him. And they lived these staggering lifetimes. 930 years, verse 5 says, Adam lived. Verse 7, and Seth, Adam's son, lived 912 years. Verse 11 Enosh lived, if you can pick it up, 905 years. Giants of men, tremendous intellects, stepping across the land, having a huge impact in the culture and the cities and the society that they lived in. These were men of God. 
This is a list of holy warriors who stood tall for God in a wicked, antediluvian, pre-flood world. And if you read this chapter, it goes on with a list of these ancient heroes. Their lives dedicated to the true God, preserving the old ways in a world becoming increasingly wicked. But in the middle of this chapter, Genesis chapter 5, we find an amazing story. God has a relationship with a man that shakes the powers of darkness and I want to tell you, it stuns the watching universe. Genesis, if you've got your Bibles, chapter 5 and verse 18. And I'd like to invite you to follow along with me. When Jared had lived 162 years, imagine living 162 years before you had a son or a daughter. It would be amazing, wouldn't it? 162 years old, I've got a brand new baby. Well, you know, Grandfather Adam would say, you're just a young man. You could have waited another 100 years. Brand new baby at 162 years of age. The Bible verse says, when Jared had lived 162 years, he became the father of Enoch. A simple little Bible verse. But the impact of this young man, Enoch's life, on our world reverberates down to today, 2005. Genesis 5 verse 21, when Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. I'm not sure where they got these names from. But that kind of runs off the tongue, that name, Methuselah. Verse 22, and after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked, this is the part I want you to take notice of, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Verse 23, altogether Enoch lived 365 years. Verse 24, Enoch walked with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. This is a man that walked with God and so close did they become that eventually God said, Enoch, I cannot be without you. Enoch said to God, God, I cannot be without you. And the Bible says that God came down to earth, gathered him in his arms and actually took him back to heaven. Amazing. I look at that man's story, the story of Enoch. What was Enoch's motivation back then in the antediluvian pre-flood world? What was his motivation in walking with God? Well, I want you to listen very carefully. This is our listening sermon today. There There is nothing on the screen. So you need to listen very carefully to this quote from Patriarchs and Prophets because I believe that we are about, through the spirit of prophecy in the Bible, to unlock one of the great secrets of the universe. Follow with me. Listen carefully. This is Patriarchs and Prophets, page 85, 86. Through holy angels, God revealed to Enoch his purpose to destroy the world by flood. And he also opened more fully to him the plan of redemption. Enoch never knew there was a flood coming. Enoch never knew the plan of redemption until God, in their walk with each other, Open this up to him. Now follow this. By the spirit of prophecy, so God came directly 
to Enoch as he came to the prophets in Scripture and to Ellen White. He says, by the spirit of prophecy, he carried, God carried Enoch down through the generations that should live after the flood. And he showed him the great events connected with the second coming of Christ and the end of the world. Enoch, think about this, before God took him, according to Ellen White, before God took Enoch through vision and showed him, Enoch knew nothing about the second coming. Enoch knew nothing about the state of the dead. And, uh, and still he sought God. Look at this. Enoch had been troubled in regard to the dead. It had seemed to him that the righteous and the wicked go to the dust together and that would be their end. Enoch never had a Bible. He couldn't open and read about the state of the dead, about the second coming, about the death of Jesus Christ. It just wasn't there. But through the spirit of prophecy, which means through vision, God came down to Enoch in their relationship, a relationship that was already going, a relationship that was already hot. God came down to Enoch and God told him. It wasn't when God said to Enoch, I'm coming again to give you eternal life, that Enoch fell on his knees and said, God, I will follow you. Enoch was following God. He was in a relationship with him anyway. Look, at the, look what Ellen White says in Patriarchs and Prophets. She says, Enoch could not see the life of just beyond the grave. In prophetic vision, he was instructed concerning the death of Christ and was shown his coming in glory, attended by all the holy angels to ransom his people from the grave. Patriarchs and Prophets, page 85 and 86. What? And here we go. Here's the question. What was Enoch's... Well, I hope you're with me today. This is, this is a question to ask yourself. What was Enoch's motivation in walking with God. Why was he walking with God? Well, I can tell you what it wasn't. It can't have been about the approaching flood because when Enoch began his walk with God and as Enoch progressed in his walk with God, he never knew about an approaching flood. So he wasn't scared into a relationship with Jesus Christ, with God because of an approaching flood. It can't have been about the expectation of the second coming. Because Enoch initially, as he advanced into his walk with God, never knew anything about the second coming. He never knew anything about eternal life. He never knew anything about that mansion over the hilltop and as surely as the Bible is the truth, those things are coming. But Enoch did not know these things. So what was it? What was it that motivated Enoch in his walk with Jesus? He's walked with God. Listen to this. During his early years, Patriarchs and Prophets, page 85, 86. During his early years, Enoch loved God. From the lips of Adam, he had learned the dark story of the fall and the promise of a Redeemer to come. Imagine if you were Enoch sitting at the feet of Adam, this ageing 12 foot 1,200 kilogram giant and hearing the story from the lips of Adam about Eve and his fall. That's who Enoch learned from initially. 
It says, during the early years Enoch loved God. From the lips of Adam he had learned the dark story of the fall and the promise of a redeemer to come. But after the birth of his first son, Enoch reached a higher experience as he felt the deep yearning and tenderness for his firstborn son. And if you're a mother or father, you'll know what this prophet's talking about here when she talks about a a, a tenderness and a yearning for a firstborn son. Enoch learned a lesson on the wonderful love of God in the gift of his son. The infinite, unfathomable love of God through Christ became the subject of Enoch's meditation day and night. His heart was in harmony with God's will and his holy walk was continued for 300 years. Wow! For 300 years, Enoch meditated on the love of God for him. What was it that motivated Enoch to walk with God? Was it the birth of his son? Yes. I want to challenge you with something for a moment. Enoch initially did not know about the Messiah. He learned that from Adam. He certainly did not know about the flood. He did not know about the signs of the times. He did not know about the second coming. He did not know about mansions in heaven. He did not know about eternal life. And I want to challenge you with this. Could it be that the primary reason Enoch walked with God was simply for the pleasure of it? Simply for the pleasure of it. Enoch, listen, Enoch enjoyed being in the presence of God and there was nowhere that Enoch would rather have been than with Jesus. Can I put it to you this morning? That even if there had been no Messiah, God forbid, even if there was no second coming, even if there were no mansions and even if there were no eternity, can I put it to you that Enoch would have chosen to walk with God simply, simply for the pleasure of it. (coughs) Listen to this. In the midst of a life of active labour, Enoch was a busy man. Enoch steadfastly maintained his communion with God. The greater and more, listen to this, the greater and more pressing his labours, the more constant and earnest were his prayers. He would withdraw to spend a season in solitude, hungering, thirsting, thirsting for God. Communing thus with God, Enoch came more and more to reflect the divine image. His face was radiant with a holy light, the same light that shines from the face of Jesus. Look, I have never met anybody yet that falls in love with somebody and it's a chore. I enjoy watching our young people at this church fall in love with each other. Did you know that? It's a pleasant thing to watch them crooning, looking into each other's eyes and going all gooey-gooey as you do when you're back in that time of your life. I have never seen them coming together and finding it a discipline. Oh, I have to go and see that girl again. All right, I'll give her five minutes. I've stormed to the 
nurses. No, it doesn't work like that. We spend time with people we love, whether it be a relationship with a wife and a husband or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a son and a father or a father and a daughter or a mother and her son. We spend time with each other because it's a pleasure. Amen? Isn't that why we spend... Look, I'm looking forward to Christmas. This year it's the Blanche Christmas. Do you know what that means? I've got to go to the Blanche's house and we have Christmas with them. I love them. I've got to tell you, that is not a burden, even though the guy's my boss. It's not a burden. I'm happy to go there and spend Christmas with them because they're my family and I love it and I want to tell you, it's a pleasure. It's pleasurable with my mum and dad too. I enjoy it. I spend time with those I love. It's not a chore because it's a pleasure. And Enoch was spending time with God for no other reason than it's a pleasure. He wasn't afraid of the end of the world. He wasn't looking for mansions. He was looking to spend time with God. It's a pleasure and I wonder why you spend time with God. Why do I? It's a question, it's the great question. What motivates you, what motivates me to spend time with God? I live in Sydney. Four million people plus. I'll open up and admit to you I'm too busy. I'm caught up in the hustle and bustle of this city. Too often I'm struggling to survive and yes, struggling to get ahead financially and other ways. I'm struggling, battling like the rest of you. I get caught up. I don't know whether pastors should say this from the front. But I get caught up in the secularism and the worldliness of this great city we live in. And it's one of the great cities of the world. I like new cars and beautiful houses and Great holidays. I like to see my superannuation going ahead. I'm trying to build a property portfolio. We are doing everything except spending much needed time in the presence of God. You may wonder why this topic's important today. Let me read you one more quote from Ellen White. Patriarchs and Prophets, chapter 6. I give you the chapter. Page 88, 89. You want these quotes, you email me, I'll give them to you. The godly character of this prophet talking about Enoch. Listen to this. Look, if you don't hear anything else, listen to this. The godly character of this prophet represents the state of holiness which must be attained to those who shall be redeemed from the earth at the time of Christ's second advent. And Ellen White quotes Revelation 14.3. In Revelation 14.3 you've got a description of the 144,000. They are those, 144,000. I'm not here to lecture you this morning on who the 144,000, except to say that the Bible and Ellen White the prophet clearly indicate to us that the 144,000, I believe symbolic number are those who are waiting for Jesus who are alive when he returns. That's you. Praise God. Through his mercy it will be me. We will be a part of the 144,000. These are the people who are waiting for Jesus. And Ellen White says in Patriarchs and Prophets, page 88 and 89, right on the turn of the page, she says that those who are waiting for Jesus 
will have the experience with Jesus that Enoch had. Turn with me to Revelation 14, 1-5. I want to take this sermon here now and conclude it. Revelation 14, verse 1-5. to I, I like to hear the, the pages turning. So let's, let's all turn, if you've got a Bible, turn to it. Revelation 14, 1-5. Because this, this subject now comes home to you. Then I look, verse 1, this is John in vision. And there before me was the Lamb, was Jesus, standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. They don't have the mark of the beast on their forehead. This is an end time people. They have the name of Jesus on their forehead. In other words, he is in their hearts, he is in their mind, he is in their bodies, he is in their souls, and he's in their heads. That's Jesus. And I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of rushing waters, like a loud peal of thunder. The sound I heard was like the harpers playing harps. This is a nice sound. And there's 144,000, that's you and me. Those who are alive when Jesus returns, the Bible says, and they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. No one knew the song except the 144,000 who'd been redeemed from the earth, who'd been redeemed from the earth. These are those who did not defile themselves with the harlot, for they kept themselves pure. They followed the Lamb wherever He goes. They were purchased from among men and offered as first fruits to God and the Lamb. No lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. I want to tell you again this morning, the 144,000, the description we've just seen in the Bible, are those who are living and ready for Jesus when He comes again. The Bible says it. Oh, I wish I had more time to speak to you about this. 144,000 is you and it's me. If we are alive when Jesus returns, why? Well, quickly, I just want to say a couple of things. The number 144,000 is symbolic. These are people who came through the time of the end. Have a look at the context of this description. Revelation 13 talks about the harlot, the mark of the beast, Sunday law, all these. If you don't know anything about this, you better come to our, our seminar. Prophecy Code 2 starts November Sabbath, November 5. These are people who come through the time of the end. They keep themselves pure from the great whore, the Antichrist, the Church of Rome, apostate Protestantism. They're not influenced by her. They are covered by the robe of gods of Christ's righteousness. They are a perfect people through Christ. Christ's perfection on them. He lives in their hearts. He's in their minds. He, he directs and leads and guides them. He is their master and he is their saviour. He is their Christ. They follow Jesus, have a look at your text, for eternity. And they have the experience of Enoch. Following Jesus. Look, the experience of Enoch is not an experience, oh, I must keep God's law. You listen to me here. The experience of Enoch is, I follow God. I am with Jesus simply because of the pleasure of it. Jesus completes me. And as I fall in love with Jesus, I keep his law, not because that's how God's people are known, but because I'm in love with Jesus. I keep his law simply for the pleasure of it. Young people, when you're struggling with drugs or you're struggling with immorality, 
or you're struggling with all the temptations that Satan is throwing at you. Us who are older, we have other temptations that we struggle with. You can't overcome those temptations unless you're in the presence of Jesus, in love with him, enjoying his presence in your life. It is the presence of Jesus that gives you the power to keep God's law. And that is important, but you cannot and you will not keep God's law in your heart and in your mind unless you have the presence of Jesus inside of you. Unless you are enjoying it as Enoch did. Unless you are seeking for the presence of Jesus just like Enoch did. I have a lot of people say to me, Lloyd, I could never be an Enoch. He was something special. He was translated without death to heaven. Well, God is offering most of you translation to heaven without death, just like Enoch. Oh, Enoch, Enoch sought God and <clears throat> I'm, just, I'm just not that sort of person. I, I, I don't find the Bible interesting when I get into it. I fall asleep and get bored when I'm praying. Uh, I, I can't. I just don't feel that I can have this sort of a relationship with God that Enoch had. I want to, my, my spirit wants to, but, but the physical body, it is weak. Let me share something with you in conclusion. Enoch, look at Genesis 5. Enoch was the father of Methuselah. Methuselah was the father of Lamech. Lamech was the father of Noah. It was Noah and his family that went into the ark and escaped the flood. Noah was Enoch's great, great grandson. We all can throw our lineage back to Noah and you know what? Enoch was your father too. If you are sitting in this church this morning and you are a human being, then the blood of Enoch runs through your veins. And if our father Enoch can humble himself and seek out God and have an experience, a highly, a deeply pleasurable experience with God just for the experience and so can you, so too can you. If Enoch can do it, his blood runs in your veins. Then so too can you. And in conclusion, I want to challenge you. If you want an Enoch experience, or if you want to start walking with God for the pleasure of it, not because the mark of the beast is coming, not because the end of time is upon us, not because great persecution is about to arrive, not because the world is going to fall down around our shoulders, it is. But if you want an experience with Jesus simply for the pleasure of it, then turn your televisions off. Stop attending the movies at that movie theatre which are so wicked and sinful and dark. Turn your radios off and turn that music off that's blasting into our minds. Move away from the things of the world and start to dedicate time to being in the presence of Jesus every day. For five years in this church I've been preaching this. Spend time with the Lord in Bible study. Open the Word. 
You cannot have an experience with Jesus and enjoy Him for the pleasure of it unless you are a man or a woman of the Word. And it baffles me in myself and in others who are Adventists, who call themselves Seventh-day Adventists, when they don't spend time in the Word getting to know Jesus. It is eternal life to spend time in this book. Because in this book is Jesus. And I want to tell you a secret. That the more time you spend in the Word... The more time you spend on your knees praying, the more you avoid the things of the world and the more you look to Jesus, the simpler and the easier you will find it to fall in love with Jesus and to enjoy a relationship with him simply for the pleasure of it. That is my prayer for you this morning have a relationship with Jesus for no other reason than the pleasure of his company. And it's a prayer for myself and my own family as well. Let's pray. Jesus, we've looked at Enoch this morning. His blood runs in our veins. He is our father. But you are our heavenly Father. And we have seen how you sought Enoch. And we know today, Lord, that you, you seek us too. Enoch responded and we have seen, Lord, what a beautiful and a deep friendship that was. Lord, there is something deep inside of us this morning that reaches out and yearns and seeks for the same sort of walk with God that Enoch had. We live in the same wicked world. We are being bombarded. Lord, we are being swamped by evil. Where, where, good is, where, where good is becoming bad and bad, Lord, is becoming good. Please, Father, have mercy on us. Draw us to you and for those, Lord, who this morning choose to go home this week and open the word, please, God, bless them. I'm praying in the name of Jesus, bless them with your presence. As we get on our knees, may we experience you. And may we, Lord, begin to enjoy you and to serve you and to follow you, not because of what's ahead of us, but simply for the pleasure of being with you. You who made us, you who came and died for us and you who will soon come back and save us. May this be our experience in Jesus' name.